Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's The Big Take from Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, the wild story of a container ship carrying some unofficial cargo. Bloomberg investigative reporters Lauren Etter and Michael Riley dug into this international tale of crime and intrigue aboard that ship. It's called the Guyane. And you know what? I'm not going to give away any more than that. Michael and Lauren sat down with me to tell the story. Lauren got things started. She described the Guyane, the ship operated by Mediterranean Shipping Company, or MSC. The Guyane is one of the largest ships sailing at sea today. It's a massive container ship that is one of the many that bring goods all around the world. The shipping industry is really the backbone of globalization. These are the behemoth vessels that send around the world your tennis shoes, your microchips, uh, anything, any commodity or personal item that you have today most likely sailed on one of these ships like the Guyane. So in 2019, the spring of 2019, the Guyane was on its regularly scheduled route. Beginning in Northern Europe, in Rotterdam and Antwerp, heading down to France, crossing the Atlantic Ocean, hitting the Caribbean. After the Guyane passes through the Panama Canal and starts heading south along the South American coast, that's when things aboard the Guyane took a different turn. One of the interesting things about MSC is it has a very special relationship with crew members from Montenegro and the Balkans in particular. Now, basically, one of the main industries in Montenegro is training, preparing, and sending off of its young men, mostly young men, to sea. So it's got lots of universities, maritime universities, and ports, and MSC just happens to be the largest employer of Montenegrin sailors in the world. And that presents a particularly good opportunity for the Balkan cartel, which is a major, another major force, if not industry, in uh, Montenegro, which is organized crime. And what it allows is that the Balkan cartel can find these sailors that are on commercial ships all over the world, but a lot of them on MSC ships, and recruit them to do what they want them to do, which is to help them smuggle cocaine aboard these massive commercial container ships. One of the people they find is a young man named Alexander Kavaya. And Alexander is in a cafe at one point in Bar, which is a small port town in Montenegro. And he gets approached by a man he doesn't know who says, look, here's the job we want you to do for us. 
And Alexander's not naive about this. If you're in Montenegro, you know how the system works. You know that organized crime is everywhere. You know that, that they use sailors and recruit sailors to do this job. But he gets approached and told, this is the job that you're going to do. The man holds out a burner phone to him and says, look, if you take this burner phone, do what we want you to do, you'll get paid 50,000 euros, which is a huge amount, even by a sailor salary. Sailor salaries in Montenegro are pretty good, but this is a very large amount for somebody like a young man like Alexander and says, you can take this, and if you don't take it, your family's in danger. Alexander takes the phone. Alexander then boards the Guyane in Antwerp and follows it. across the Atlantic, through the canal, down the coast of South America. So as the Guyana is off the coast of South America, one night, the phone rings. He answers it. He's called up to the stern of the ship. When he gets up there, there are several other people. Some of them have masks on. Some of the people are crew members that he knows. What they're doing is they're hauling up cocaine. There's a little bit of a, it's called a go-fast boat, bobbing alongside, and they're using a small crane, which is usually normally used to bring up supplies for the crew. They're attaching the cocaine in these nets, and they're pulling it up the side of the ship in these nets. All the while, the ship is moving, and the go-fast boat is moving. Like, logistically, technically, this is a really tough thing to pull off. They're pulling this cocaine off, they're swinging it around, putting it on the deck. Once they get the cocaine up onto the stern of the ship, They then start to move it around into various containers on the ship. Getting it into those containers, though, they have to snip the seals that are on the containers. They have to open it up. The the containers, when they're a fully loaded container ship, keep in mind that a lot of these containers are underneath the, the deck of the ship. So it's dark, it's dank, you're climbing down. These are not meant to be opened or accessed when the ship is at sea. But that's exactly what they're doing. And in fact, in some cases, they're sort of strapped in with these metal straps. And so the doors don't open all the way. The crew had to have a guy small enough who could crawl into the small space once they've opened the container's doors, get into the container, and then help toss the cocaine back to the back of the container or up on top of whatever product was already in there. After they had loaded the cocaine in these individual containers, they had broken into them. So they had to kind of cover their tracks and make it seem like everything was normal. So that after they had bolt-cutted the seal, ripped open the door, and put it all back together. They also used welders to weld back any kind of bent railings or anything. And they even used paint to paint over any damage on the container. The reason they can do that is these are the guys who operate the ship, right? These are their... They're electricians, they're sailors. You know, some guys are kind of low-level sailors who were used to just move the cook around. But you also had, like, the chief mate of the Guyane was involved in the scheme. The great thing about having the chief mate as part of the scheme is he controls, for example, the schedule of the sailors. He can make sure that he's got the right skill set of people who are involved to do the job he needs. And he also has access to a ton of information about the what's called the load plan, like where the containers go, where they're going to get off, where they're loaded on the ship, what hold they're in. He has all the necessary information to pull this off. The Guyana is coming down the west coast of South America. It's stopping in Colombia. It's stopping at the port of Callao in Peru. It's going down to Chile. And during the day, what's going on is it's pulling to the port. 
Containers are coming off, containers are going on. Pulls out of each of these ports and begins to sail again. And in that moment, as it's transitioning into the open sea, is when these loads of cocaine are put on. And they do this seven times, both on the way down and on the way up. So the Guyane again crosses through this key juncture, the Panama Canal. And it's now on the other side of the continent in the Caribbean Ocean. So it's starting to head north to its U.S. destination. It makes a stop in the Bahamas, and then it makes its way to Philadelphia, which is where it was scheduled to stop and where it was going to unload all kinds of things that it had gathered in South America. Now, keep in mind that the Port of Philadelphia isn't the largest port in the eastern United States, but it's one of the most important for a very specific commodity, and that's fresh fruits and vegetables. So Philadelphia had kind of been a, a way station, really, for a lot of the broccoli and strawberries and asparagus, avocados that are coming from South America and going into Philadelphia, the Port of Philadelphia, which has some very state-of-the-art cold-chain logistics facilities for packing cold items. As the Guyane is approaching the mouth of the Delaware Bay, normally what would happen is the vessel would be met by a riverboat pilot. This is a trained individual who knows how to sort of navigate the shallowing waters of the canal and the various movements of the tides and that type of thing. As it's approaching the mouth of the Delaware Bay, instead of being met by a riverboat pilot, the Guyane is met by a helicopter and Coast Guard boats and a bunch of law enforcement officers who immediately ascend the ladder on the ship and board the Guyane. By this time, they already suspected that there were drugs on board. Immediately when they board the ship, they bring the crew, the entire crew, into the galley. So they brought their own pilots and crew members on board who can sail the ship. So all of the crew is in the galley, and they start to interview them, bringing them out one by one and start talking to them. They get the schematics of the ship, start figuring out where all the containers are, and start doing kind of a cursory above-board search of the ship. It's not immediately clear when the law enforcement officers board the ship, what's going on. But one of the things that they do is they swab the hands of the crew members to detect drugs. And multiple members of the crew come back with positive cocaine showings. So very early on, the law enforcement officers believed that there was cocaine on that ship. They just had no idea where it was. While it was at sea, they could only search the containers that were on deck. But anyone who's seen one of these container ships fully loaded knows that that's a ton. Like, these, they're stacked, you know, many, many containers high. Climbing up, they're looking for broken seals. They're doing an initial search as the ship is coming into Philadelphia. After about six to eight hours of doing this, they decide to bring the Guyane to port. They pilot the ship up the river and it goes to Philadelphia's Packer Marine Terminal. The Guyane 
had 4,000 containers on it. This is a sea of shipping containers. And keep in mind that these are large. They're 20 feet long, and they're packed with all manner of items. So when the law enforcement officers start searching, at first they have no idea where the cocaine is located. They're faced with this enormous challenge of where are the drugs stored? How are we going to find them? And once they pull into the terminal, they actually have a lot of resources waiting for them. When we come back, the authorities start searching the guy on top to bottom. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Lauren, you and Michael were obviously not aboard the guy on when all of this was going down. How do you know all this? We had access to all kinds of legal documents and court records and transcripts that we use to piece together large portions of this story. We also spoke with many current and former law enforcement officers who described the events that took place, as well as other maritime industry experts who shed light on this particular operation. So the Guyon has now been seized, and it is in the Port of Philadelphia, Lauren, you mentioned that when the law enforcement authorities moved in on the ship, they suspected that there was cocaine aboard. Why? Why did they know that there was cocaine on this ship? What made them target that ship? So that's a long story, in fact. The law enforcement officers had been actually interested in these large loads of cocaine that were moving from South America to Europe for quite some time. So they had found cocaine aboard two MSC ships, one in Newark, New Jersey, and the other in Philadelphia before the Guyane, and had been piecing together how the traffickers were in fact moving large loads of cocaine to Europe through U.S. ports. And so they had developed all kinds of information and sources, human intelligence sources, other methods that they were able to use to piece together all of this. So that's one of the reasons that they had the information. Michael Lauren said that there had been two other U.S. bus of MSC ships. So didn't that kind of tip off the smugglers that there was danger in U.S. ports? Yeah, you think so. Um, it's really important to note that cocaine doesn't come into the U.S. on container ships. Cocaine comes into the U.S. for the U.S. market overland through Mexico in tunnels and trucks and cars. Cocaine goes to Europe 
on container ships because that's really, especially over the last decade, the most efficient way that you could get it there. But that meant that from the U.S. law enforcement point of view, this was kind of a European issue. The drugs weren't coming to the U.S., the ones on the Guyane or any of these other ships. They were going to Europe. But they started to notice in 2016, 2017, as seizures were being done in Antwerp and Rotterdam, that if you track back the vessels that those seizures were done on, some of them, not a small number, were spending time in U.S. waters, which meant that big amounts of cocaine were flowing through U.S. waters on their way to Europe. The Homeland Security Investigations, which is a unit of the Department of Homeland Security, they took this as an opportunity. So the drugs aren't coming here, but if they're spending time in the U.S. waters, they want to figure out what's going on. So they start off with the admittedly kind of misperception that this is being loaded onto these ships in a traditional way. In other words, it was being loaded in containers onshore in Peru and Ecuador and Colombia as the containers were being packed or at the port. And so they spent a lot of time, months and months, trying to figure out which ports they were being loaded on, who was doing the loading. Little by little, they realized that's not what was going on. Something else was happening here. And that's when they began to sort of investigate the sailors and the possibility that it was actually being loaded at sea by these fast boats. They sort of lock onto that thesis in 2018 and then begin to sort of follow this breadcrumb trail of clues and begin to sort of realize that there is something much more sophisticated going on than they imagine. So they then, as you say, like they start their first seizure is in February of 2019 in Newark. And it's the biggest bust in Newark in like two decades or something like that. In April, they do another bust in the Port of Philadelphia. It's a record Philadelphia bust. These are large amounts of cocaine, but they're only getting them out of one container. They don't actually have a full idea of how this scheme is working. Now, the question, there's this interesting question, like, wouldn't that tip off the traffickers to the danger? And they certainly tipped off the traffickers that there was a problem. But traffickers knew that there was some sort of leak in their organization, but they didn't know where it was coming from. And keep in mind, in both of those earlier busts, sailors weren't arrested. And so they don't really know if they got lucky and found the cocaine, if they have some sense of really what's going on. And so they just seem to keep doubling down. The traffickers aren't oblivious to this, but they don't really know where the problem is. So they're running their loads. And in fact, one of the theories about why the load of cocaine on the guy was so big is that there were these earlier busts and they had to make up the cocaine that had been lost to these earlier customers. So they just kept building up bigger and bigger loads until you get one that's got 20 tons of cocaine on it. One thing that I'd like to also mention is that the traffickers build into their business model loss they expect that they're going to lose a certain percentage of their cocaine. It's just seen as a cost of doing business. So now the authorities are on board. They're questioning the crew, and they're on the hunt for all this cocaine. How do they try to find it? So when the Guyane pulls into the port in Philadelphia, there are more than 100 agents on deck. They knew that ultimately to get to the bottom of this, they were going to have to search an entire fully loaded cargo ship. Normally the way the cocaine is found in containers is it's as the containers come off in their destination port, Antwerp or Rotterdam or Chiatara or wherever it's going, they look for some signs, they do a search, maybe they open up the container. This was something entirely different. They were going to have to search for the cocaine while the containers were still on the ship, which meant you have to be prepared to go into below deck, 
many layers down. They had dogs. They had special equipment that could detect oxygen deprivation, for example. They had special cameras because the containers weren't coming off, so they could open them maybe a few inches. They could put one of these special cameras in to see if there was cocaine in there. They had teams. They basically divided the search up by hold, so each team would have a hold, and so the teams would go into the hold. They'd search the hold. The Guyane pulled into the Port of Philadelphia about 3 o'clock in the morning. By about 6 or 7 a.m., they got their first hit. In other words, it took them about four hours of that continued full all-hand search before they found their first container that had cocaine. So after the cops get their first hit of the cocaine, they realize that there's probably more on there because then they find it in a second container. So at the time, the port director... Joseph Martella, it was supposed to be his day off. And when they found the second container filled with cocaine, they called him and told him, and he immediately rushed down to the port. So Martella makes the very unusual decision to basically pull off every single one of the 4,000 containers, take it off the ship, transport it to a scanning facility, and physically inspect every single one. This is a gargantuan task. It is almost unheard of for customs authorities or law enforcement officials to remove every single container. But they believe that there's more coke to be found. So they're searching through the containers one by one, and one by one, the containers turn up even more cocaine. After searching for hours and days, they ultimately locate cocaine in seven shipping containers. They find 15,000 bricks of cocaine that is valued at nearly a billion dollars. It weighs nearly 20 tons. As the investigators and the law enforcement officers are logging all of this cocaine, it's a gargantuan task, right? They have to weigh 15,000 bricks. They have to log each and every one of them. They have to put it into the evidence locker. They have a lot of work that involves handling these bricks of cocaine. And so at one point, Martella kind of looks around and there's dust in the air. And he realizes, wait a minute, that's not dust, that's cocaine. And so he kind of instructs everybody to mask up. And just the sheer kind of weight of all of this was dawning on them that they had found 20 tons of cocaine, the largest amount in American history on a container ship. So, Lauren, you described this incredible scene of unloading all this cocaine uh, and the dust in the air and everything else. Michael, what did they actually do with all that cocaine? They'd seized it, but you can't just kind of put it in a locker. That's right. And in fact, just the sheer volume of it was like blew away all the sort of normal handling procedures that they had, even just to get the cocaine from the port to Customs House where the evidence locker is. They have to bring in the Philadelphia SWAT team to sort of escort the multiple vans full of cocaine because you don't, you know, it's a billion dollars your movie. You don't want to lose any of this stuff. When they get it there, they do what they typically do in these big drug busts, which is they take a picture of all of this cocaine stacked up. But there was so much of it that the cocaine filled this foyer where they normally do the seizure pictures. And ultimately, they initially store it in the evidence vault in Customs House. 
But it was such a large amount that they got permission to begin destroying it because there just wasn't enough room to keep it all. While all this was happening, what was happening to the crew? So in between the time they took the cocaine off the ship and the crew members are facing their court sentences, they are essentially held by law enforcement agents on the Guyane. They're not leaving. They have not left the ship. They're being interviewed multiple times by law enforcement officers, sometimes over and over again in order to try to kind of match up stories and that type of thing. So for about two weeks, the Guyane is just kind of in the port of Philadelphia and it's being shuttled around a little bit down farther downstream to make way for other normal operating commercial ships. But there's a lot of law enforcement activity that's still taking place on the ship as they're trying to piece together the investigation and learn as much as they can from each individual crew member. They seized the boat. They got the cocaine. What next? We'll answer that when we come back. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Michael, what does the company that operates the Guyane, MSC, this huge shipping company, what do they say about all this? The first thing they say is that they're a victim of this trafficking scheme. They're not responsible for it. Like everyone admits that the, and concedes that MSC is not trafficking the cocaine. The Balkan cartel, this very kind of brutal, very well-organized cartel in Eastern Europe, they're the traffickers. The question is, to what degree MSC should have, could have been aware of what was going on and done more to stop it. There's a lot of technical legal issues being fought out right now, basically around a couple of cases. One is the U.S. government seized not just the cocaine, they actually seized the Guyane itself. MSC puts down what the equivalent of $50 million in bail, and so the Guyane sets sail not shortly afterwards. But the actual fate of Guyane is still being argued in a civil case. The U.S. government points out that it was MSC's employees who were responsible for a big part of how the smuggling worked. And it wasn't just the Guyane that this had been going on, not just on other MSC ships around the same time. In fact, U.S. authorities believe that even in this period, around 2018, 2019, at least four MSC ships were under the control of the Balkan cartel, smuggling these massive loads in the same way. It was the MSC Avni, the MSC Carlotta, the MSC Desiree, and the MSC Guyane. And the U.S. government is saying, you guys didn't have any sense that this was going on. They point out, for example, that the crew members were having to manipulate the crane. For example, those cranes at the stern of the ship have a weight limit on them, and they would do searches of MSC ships, and they would find that the wire on the safety device had been cut so that they could be used to haul up more cocaine, (laughs) that there were 
sort of other indications that the MSC could have or should have had that something serious was going on. MSC at this point, they're not only claiming that they're innocent victims in this, but they're basically going to dispute key elements of the government's case, the main point of which is they're saying that the cocaine wasn't actually loaded at sea. This is a key legal point because to the extent that it's loaded at sea and by MSC's crew, it puts MSC in a legal crosshair, so to speak. If the cocaine was loaded on shore, somewhere up in the supply chain, the shipping company itself is much less responsible. Now, they haven't come up with evidence to show this. What they've done is dispute sort of elements. They've done their own investigation. They hired a law firm to do a big investigation to look into this case. And they have come up with inconsistencies in what they believe is the way the government portrays events. Some of these containers couldn't have been accessed while they were at sea. So there's no way the cocaine could have gotten in there. It's kind of that on that level. There are some other stakes to keep in mind here. So the fate of the ship is kind of up in the air. But MSC is also facing more than $700 million in penalties for the actual amount of cocaine that was found on not only the Guyane, but also the Carlotta and the Desiree. This is a huge sum of money that no company is going to be eager or willing to pay without pushing back. You know, this is a company that has kind of prided itself on being known as a a family-run enterprise that really takes care of its employees. So this is not the image that the company wants out there that their ships have had this problem. Most of these proceedings are kind of happening behind closed doors right now. The civil forfeiture case aspects of it are currently under seal. And then the penalty case that is before the Customs and Border Protection Authorities, these are traditionally non-public proceedings. Where do you see this case ultimately going? And how long do you think it takes to resolve it one way or another? I mean, these types of cases can drag on for years, especially when there is so much at stake. It's clear that U.S. authorities are pursuing this investigation, not only about the culpability and the responsibility of MSC and the forfeiture and the penalties, but they're also very interested in trying to figure out who is actually behind this massive cocaine smuggling ring. MSC could settle, could result in a settlement. We just don't know exactly how it's going to unfold or how long it might endure. So MSC is still a huge company operating a lot of ships around the world. What are they doing now? I imagine they're under a lot of scrutiny. How are they making sure that they don't get caught with another ship in a port full of drugs? Absolutely. MSC is bending over backwards to portray themselves as a leader in anti-smuggling efforts. And in fact, they've taken a lot of steps since the Guyane to kind of change their ways or to take this threat of narco-trafficking much more seriously. They've agreed to spend $100 million on security upgrades on their ships and in their facilities. They've already spent $50 million just this year alone in all kinds of security upgrades, including putting live CCTV cameras on all of their ships so they could be monitored remotely, Um, increasing technology on their containers, deploying something called smart containers, which allow companies to better track when a container is opened and say, is it opened at sea, which would be a red flag. They have begun and really around the time of the Guyane had already started doing this, but 
using guards more often on some of their ships, particularly the ships that are transiting along South America and through the Panama Canal. Another step that they've taken is they have said that they're no longer going to use Montenegrin crew on ships that sail to South America. Michael, do we know whether the Balkan cartel has kind of pulled back from putting cocaine on ships because they are at all concerned that they're going to get seized now? What we know is that the seizures of cocaine in ports in Europe, major sort of entryways, Rotterdam and Antwerp, continue to go up after the guy had. 2020 was again a record year. 2021 was a record year. It may go down a little bit this year. It's a little unclear. But as long as the market's there, the cartel's going to find ways to get cocaine into Europe. The Balkan cartel, but also other major traffickers in Europe. Lauren, we started this story with Alexander Kavaya being handed a cell phone and being told that it's going to ring. Where is he now? Where are the other members of the crew who were arrested and taken away? Alexander is in federal prison here in the United States, um, along with the other seven crew members who were arrested. They all were sentenced to several years of prison, and that's essentially where they're going to be until they get out. Um, Kavaya himself has sought an early release um, from a judge and was denied. And so, yes, so he's serving out his time just like the rest of the seven crew members. Lauren and Michael, this is an amazing tale. It must have been quite an adventure to report it. I just want to ask you, what was the thing that sticks out in your mind most about this story? I mean, so many things uh, stood out to me as I was reporting the story. I kind of embarked on the story just kind of trying to figure out, well, whatever happened to that 2019 Guyane case? And it turned out a lot. I was surprised at really just how sophisticated the drug smugglers were. And I really didn't know that much about Montenegro as a seafaring nation. And that was one of the most interesting and surprising things to me is just how dependent the shipping industry is on this labor pool in this small country on the Adriatic Sea and how vulnerable that population really is right now, especially because of the power of the Balkan cartel there and how much sway they have over this really critical labor pool that helps form the backbone of the global economy. For me, it's like I always thought of the global shipping industry as as a little boring. You know, it moves a lot of goods. It's very important to the global economy. Um, and it just is out there. It's just, you know, you always see the container ships and all our stuff. It moves around on them. What I realized doing this story is organized crime has sort of figured out not just the Balkan cartel and not just with cocaine, but organized crime has figured out a way to piggyback on this amazing logistical miracle that is global shipping to move all sorts of illicit goods, cocaine, different kinds of drugs, human beings. There is a lot of trafficking that goes on. But that also means that ports and shipping companies and terminals are really, you know, in the middle of this kind of gangland environment. The the port of Callao in Peru, there was a series of assassinations of stevedores who were resisting the control of a particular street gang who ran the port. There's, you know, policemen and customs officials in Europe are being arrested for cooperating with organized crime. There are assassinations going on in Amsterdam and in Belgium, like these countries that you think of as these relatively peaceful societies, in part because of all of this sort of capturing of the global shipping industry by organized crime. That I had no idea was out there. 
Lauren Netter and Michael Riley. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Wes. You can read the story of the guy on by Lauren Etter and Michael Riley at Bloomberg.com. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Read today's story and subscribe to our daily newsletter at Bloomberg.com slash Big Take. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producers are Mo Barrow and Michael Falero. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Wes Kosova. Have a great weekend. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.